Okay, children, I want you to think about something. Okay? Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about who is your favorite person to play with. Don't, don't tell me who it is. I just want you to think about it. Who is your favorite person to play with? Okay. Why are they your favorite person to play with? Do you know? Why are they your favorite person to play with? Maybe, so I was thinking about what, who my favorite people to be by are and who my favorite people to play with are. And, and what I was thinking is, I think that it's the people who play with me, right? They're the ones who, who play with me and not just tell me this is what I want to do, right? They, they want to do the things that I want to do sometimes and sometimes we do the things that they want to do. And they, they are willing to play with me. So they're not always saying, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to do it. And they're not always doing it for themselves, right? The, the people who are very selfish, I don't want to play with as much, right? But the people who want to, um, who want to play with me and want to let me play, those are the ones that I want to play with. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about humility. And humility is very much tied to that kind of attitude, okay? Uh, now, adults, I was thinking about you this week, too. And I was thinking the, the same kind of question applies to you. What kind of a church do you want to be a part of? What kind of a church do you want to be a part of? And when I, I think about what kind of a church I want to be a part of. It's the kind of church where the people love each other, where they care deeply for one another, where they respect each other, where they're united together, where they do things together and they, and they really support one another. That, that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. When I'm just thinking about the relationships of the church, right? I, I want a church that focuses on who Jesus is who focuses on, on the scriptures and then has the people that really love each other well. And that's what Paul is writing about as he's writing to this church in Philippi. And, and this, I've already read these verses, but just listen to this again, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This idea that uh, we shouldn't do anything selfishly, right? When, when kids are playing and one kid is being selfish, they want to hog all the toys. They want to say this is how the game is going to go. They want to, th then it's not fun for other people. It's not expressing a love and a care and an enjoyment uh, together because somebody's going, I, I want it this way, I want it this way, I want it this way. And so when Paul is writing to this church at Philippi, he's writing to them and he's saying, hey, don't do things out of um, selfish ambition or conceit. Don't, don't do things because of your own desires, the things that you want to do, the things that you want to accomplish. I've been a part of churches in the past where you're talking with somebody and they, the only thing they see is their thing, right? Whatever their thing is. Sometimes it's the music. Sometimes it's their chair. 
Sometimes it's their ministry. Sometimes it's, it's their Bible study. It's their, it's their thing, right? The rest of the church is, seems unimportant and they don't really care. It's their thing. That's what is important to them. And he's saying don't, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others to be more significant than yourselves. Act as if the other people are more important than you. Right? Act as if the other people are more important than you. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, as, as he's talking about this, we, we skipped over the first couple of verses in this chapter. And so let's go back and catch those, verses 1 and 2. Paul is writing and he says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Doesn't that sound beautiful? He's going, look, if you just want to thrill me, make me feel so joyful about who you are as the church in Philippi, I just want you to know if there's any encouragement in Jesus, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being united, of the same mind, united together. Man, don't we want that? We want that so much. We want to go to a place where people are of like mind with us. We're in this together. We think similarly. We do the things together. We're working on this together. But if you want that, then we have to have verses 3 and 4. You see, one of the things that has been highlighted for me in this last year is how easily division can happen. People have different ideas about things. They have different ideas about a lot of things. We've seen that over the last year. We've seen it in the community. We've seen it in churches where people are so divided because of their ideas about the way that we should interact with politics, with each other, with the community, with um, pandemics, with whatever. There's all kinds of division because people are going, this is the way that it should be. And he says, but I want you to be united in unity. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And sadly, what I have seen is a temptation for people to cohort. That is to say, um, they see differences amongst themselves and other people, and they say, ah, I can't be in unity with you because we disagree. So I'm going to find people who are like-minded. That's what Paul's asking for after all, isn't it? Isn't Paul saying we should be of like mind, we should be of unity, and I'm not of unity with these people, so for crying out loud, I'm going to leave them be, and I'm going to find people who are like-minded. And they find those people who are like-minded, and they're like, finally, these are my people. 
people who are like me, like-minded, and they start talking with them, oh, except you've got this thing wrong. So obviously, you're not my people either. We were aligned on one area, but in another area, no. So we're going to leave and go somewhere else. I'm going to find a new group of people. And what we find is that these people are trying to cohort with people who are like-minded in everything. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking to a church that has uh, diverse ideas and opinions and ways of doing things, and he's telling them, look, there's a diverse group of you. Now, you together be united and of like mind. And here's how you're going to do that. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. How can we have this like-mindedness? How can we have this unity? It comes from a humility. It comes from a humility. Where I say, though we may disagree about this, I am going to look to your interests more than my own. I am going to count you to be more significant than me. I'm going to count your ideas to be more significant, your opinions, your your emotions, your ministry. I am going to consider that to be more important. And so we're going to compassionately be in unity together. Looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. My wife and I have taught a marriage class a couple of times. And one of the things that we talk about in that marriage class is being on the same team. We are married, we are spouses, and so we are on the same team. Which means if we have a problem, we have a problem. She's not the problem. I'm not the problem. She doesn't have a problem. I don't have a problem. We have a problem. Sometimes it appears that she has the problem. But she doesn't. It's our problem. Sometimes it appears that the problem is really me. But we have the problem. If I struggle with something, if I have an issue, we have an issue together because we're a team. We are united. And so if I have a problem, my wife comes alongside me and says, what are we going to do about our problem? My temptation is to say, well, it's my problem, not yours. No, it's, it's our problem. It's our problem. We are a team. We are united. Any kinds of problems that we might have, whether they are external or internal, are ours to deal with. We have to figure out together how we're going to deal with these problems. Because they're our problems. The same thing is true in the church. We have to say that we have a problem. 
right? It's, it's not a matter of just skating over things and ignoring things and going, well, I'm just going to ignore that. But rather, dealing with it, being in unity together. If you're going to have a, a beautiful unity in marriage for a long time, have you seen those couples that have been married for like 50, 60 years? And they have such a sweet relationship together? My, for me, my grandparents are that. My parents are getting there. But my, my grandparents were that. My, my grandmother died uh, just over a year ago. They'd been married for over 60 years. And the way that they loved one another, the way that they preferred one another, the way that they took care of one another was beautiful. It's the kind of marriage that every Christian aspires to. Well, how are you going to get there? It takes so much humility, so much self-sacrifice, so much preferring of the other person to get to there. It, it's not complicated. It's not hard in the fact in the, the way of being complicated, but it is difficult. It's difficult to give that kind of humility. It's difficult to give that kind of preference to other people. And the same thing is true in here, among God's people. To consider other people to be more important than ourselves. I don't know, I like you guys fine. But do I really want to sacrifice? Do I really want to get up, give up my preferences? It, it just, it has to be that way. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says, I want you guys, I want you guys to fill up my joy by being like-minded, by being uni united together. And the way that you're going to do that is by being humble and by sacrificing for each other. In fact, have this kind of mind among you. Have the mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, that makes sense, right? We're Christians after all. We follow Jesus. We're wanting to be like Jesus. We see Jesus as being our Savior. And so we should be like-minded with Jesus. In fact, if we want to be like-minded with one another, we're going to need to be like-minded with Jesus. So what did Jesus do? Just this little thing. This little thing of though he was God, gave up that, right? Who, though he was in the form of God, though he was God himself, he did not e count equality with God a thing that he needed to hang on to, cling to, the identity, the glory of being God. He went, you know what? I can give that up. That's mind-blowing to me. 
that the God of the universe, the one who created all things, the one who sovereignly reigns over all things, went, you know, I deserve all glory for having created all of this, for sustaining all of this. I deserve all the glory for this, but that's okay. I don't need to cling to that. Here's what I'm going to do. He emptied himself of that. He, he gave up all of the rights and privileges and prerogatives that uh, go along with being God. He emptied himself of that and took on the form of a man. Somebody that Isaiah tells us had no stately form or anything about his appearance that we should look at him and go, wow. There was nothing impressive about his appearance at all. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. He went, I, I'll become like one of my people. I don't need any kind of glory. I can become like one of my people. That's the kind of servant attitude that Jesus uh, portrayed. That was the, the kind of humility that Jesus had. But even more than that, not only being found in human form, but he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This horrible, horrible death. When, when I think about um, preferring somebody else, giving up my rights, giving up uh, my comforts, my privileges for the sake of somebody else, that's difficult for me. I, I may be alone in this, but I think I'm inherently selfish. That is to say, I like my comforts. And I don't really want to give that up for other people. And I look at this and look at the kind of sacrifice that Jesus made... He gave up all of it. All of the glory, all of the honor, all the prestige. So that he could die a horrific death that he in no way deserved. What an awesome Savior. You see, this is the difference between Jesus and the Avengers, right? When you look at the superheroes, they have this awesome power and they get the glory that's associated with the power of saving people. Wow, look at how impressive they are. And yeah, they use that power for good. But here Jesus is just going, I don't need that glory. I'm going to give that up, and I am going to sacrifice myself so that you might be saved from your sins. While we did not honor God to give him the glory that he deserved, Jesus went, that's okay. I will save you from your sins. I just think, shouldn't Jesus be too good for that? Shouldn't he be too good for that? 
If you think of like the Queen of England scrubbing toilets or something, you go, hang on now. <laughs> that scrubbing toilets is not, doesn't align in my brain with the prestige of the office that she holds. That doesn't seem appropriate. She see, it's too good for that. Well, here's the creator of the universe, the king and, and uh, God of everything, dying on the cross. Shouldn't Jesus be too good for that? For that kind of mistreatment? What are the kinds of things that you feel like you're too good for that? When I'm doing my best and people insult me and complain about me, and I'm too good for that. There have been times as a father where you have to do things for kids. I feel like I'm too good for that. My, my dad, <laughs> my dad used to say, Grandpa, like God, he changeth not. Now, he was referring to diapers. <laughs> there, there are things that we feel like, I, I'm too good for that. That shouldn't happen to me. And we may not say the words, I'm too good for that, but that's the heart, that's the attitude that comes behind it. When we go, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to give up my time, my rest, my joy, my pleasure, my family time for somebody else. I'm too good for that. I just feel like Jesus should be too good for this kind of a form, taking on the form of a man. He should be too good for that kind of a death, and yet the kind of humility and sacrifice that Jesus displays is exactly that. And we, if we want to have the kind of beautiful church that lives in harmony and unity and being of the same mind, loving one another for a long period of time, like a really wonderful marriage, then we're going to have to have the same kind of mind in ourselves. There's no other way. There's no other way. In fact, one of the ways we know whether or not we're doing it, he goes on in, in uh, Philippians 2, verse 14. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Oh, come on, Paul, pick something different. Come on, man. Isn't it enough that I did it? I gave up my time to serve. Yeah, but you grumbled about it. You complained about it. You didn't have the mind of Jesus in that. I don't know what your motivation was in doing it, but if you were complaining and grumbling about it, it wasn't out of humility and service. Look at me. Look at how much I have given up so that this could happen. 
you're grumbling and complaining. It was self-serving. No, it wasn't. It was so hard. I know. And then you told me about how hard it was. Doing all things without grumbling and complaining. Complaining is that you have a problem. They have a problem. She has a problem. Our church has a problem. It's that complaining. But remember, we already talked about what we do with problems. They're not theirs. They're ours. They're our problems. You see, we're not going to get to unity just by not complaining and ignoring problems. That's not how we're going to get there. Oh, well, we'll pretend that we have unity by having a small group of us complain over here about the problem with our church. That's not unity. That's not going to get us to where we need to go. Okay, fine. We won't complain about it. No, still not there. How are we going to get there? We have to consider it to be our problem. We have to talk about it. One of the things that I really appreciate about this church is the willingness to talk about things we don't like. It, let me be clear, that is not easy for me. It's not my favorite thing in the world to talk about the things that people don't like about our church. But do you know how much I prefer that to small groups of people complaining about what's happening over there? Because when we talk about it, when we bring it together, then it's our problem and we can deal with it. And we can talk about it and we can be of like mind. And we can be of unity. It doesn't mean that we're just looking for all of the people who think exactly the same as us, but that when we disagree about something, we talk about it openly and we work on it together and we recognize that any of these things are so important that we will identify them, we will talk about them, and then ultimately we will give up our rights for one another. We will humbly sacrifice and prefer one another. And can I say, I see that in this church. We are not perfect. It does not happen every time. But we're working on it. And we're not ignoring it. We're having the mind of Jesus Jesus didn't look down from heaven and go, they've got a problem. That sin, that is a problem. They are messed up. Jesus looked down and went, oh, we have a problem. He didn't ignore it. He didn't go, well, it's just not that big of a deal. We'll just ignore it. We'll just pass it by. There are times that um, my wife and I, there will be something that irritates us, that the other one does, a quirk, a foible, something. 
one of the most um, well-known is my propensity for saving mayonnaise knives. You use it to spread the mayonnaise onto the bread, and then you set it on the side of the sink just in case somebody needs to go back and make a second sandwich. Eventually, it will get clean, but here's what my wife told me. I will never want that dirty mayonnaise knife. Five years. It took her five years to tell me that. Before, it was this thing that just ate her up. I didn't know. I didn't know it was a problem. I thought everyone would appreciate having (laughs) this mayonnaise knife just waiting for them. But we can come to unity when we talk about it. What do you know? That problem has an easy solution. We just talk about it. Hey, by the way, just so you know, I am never going to want that dirty mayonnaise knife or peanut butter knife or jam knife. (laughs) The same thing is true in the church. Sometimes we feel like, oh, we'll just be quiet about it. We We just won't cause problems by highlighting this problem. But we have it. So let's go ahead and talk about it. Let's deal with it. Let's be a part of the solution to the problem. See, humility is not ignoring the problems in somebody else, but coming alongside and saying, this is our problem, let's work on this together. I want to help with this issue. That's the beauty of the church. Not that we ignore sin, not that we ignore problems, not that we pretend to have unity by not talking about things we disagree with, but that we humbly sacrifice for one another and talk and say, let's deal with this together. That's how we come to have the mind of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, emptied himself so that he could take the form of a man and sacrifice himself to deal with our problem. And if I look at this, I would say, my sin is my problem. And Jesus is going, it's getting in the way of our relationship. Your sin is getting in the way of our relationship. This is our problem. And the only way we're going to be able to deal with this is if I deal with it. Because you are incapable. But Jesus, that doesn't seem right. I should have to deal with my own problems. You can't. So Jesus is going to have to. We together now as his people have this mind of Christ. That we together are going to do this. And then this is what happens. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Awesome. Awesome, because he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but gave that up. Then God the Father exalts him to the highest place. He has the highest glory. And we get to participate in that glory. 
1 Peter 5, 6 puts it this way. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. Now let's not be confused. Jesus humbles himself, gives himself up sacrificially for us and because of his taking our sin and removing it from us and paying the price for it, he is exalted to the highest place. We are not exalted because of our service. Right? This is not a Mother Teresa kind of thing where we get worldwide renown for how humble and service-minded we are. But rather, because of our humility and because of um, our service within the body, we being united with Christ, we get to participate in Jesus' glory. We get to participate in His glory. It's not our glory, right? Because that would be self-serving again. Well, why are you so humble? Well, so that I can be uh, found out about how humble I am. Why do you sacrifice so much? So that everyone will know how sacrificial I am. When we talk about the first shall be last and the last shall be first and the, the greatest shall be the least and the least shall be the greatest, we're not saying that because you became the least, then we will pretend that you are greater than anyone else. What we are saying is that because you have given up everything to be identified with Jesus, then when Jesus is glorified, you are glorified with him. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, in, in uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Then in verse 10, it says this, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is his glory. Just like, um, so I went to Washington State University. I'm a Coug fan. Sometimes we have great shame because of being Coug fans. Occasionally, we have great joy and honor because of being Coug fans. Because occasionally, the Cougs win and they win big. Right? Occasionally. When that happens, I didn't get any honor because of anything I did. I'm a terrible football player. I am way too old to play college football anymore. I did nothing to deserve any kind of glory except identify myself with them so that when the Cougs win, I have people that come in on Sunday morning after they win on Saturday and beat the Ducks or the Beavers or whoever, and they congratulate me. Why are they congratulating me? Because they know I am identified with Washington State University and Cougar football. In the same way, I am identified with Jesus Christ. All of my glory hinges on whether or not Jesus is glorified. I don't do anything. I can be the most humble, sacrificial person in the world. I could be the most eloquent, um, famous preacher in the world, and I don't get any glory other than that which I have identified with Jesus. I get to share in his glory. Here's his glory. Verse 9 of, of uh, Philippians 2. Therefore God has ex highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that you and I get to walk in on Sunday mornings and congratulate one another. Hey, congratulations, Jesus won. Yeah, isn't it great Jesus won? It was Jesus' victory. Hey, you don't have any sin anymore. Nothing that, that keeps you from having a perfect relationship with God. I know, isn't that great Jesus did that? You don't either. Me too. This is wonderful. That's what we get together on Sunday mornings to do. Sometimes we congratulate each other on a a football game that happened the day before. But the reason that we gather is to celebrate the victory that Jesus has. And we get to be united and be this beautiful church together, having the same mind as him. When we humbly give up our preferences, give up our rights to serve one another the way that Jesus did. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is the kind of church that we want to be a part of. We want to be a part of a church that has the mind of Jesus. Lord, we know that we cannot do this by our own effort. But only in the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Thank you for the victory of Jesus at the cross that dealt with our sin. Lord, help us to, like him, give up our own preferences to love one another. Lord, may we not skirt around issues or or make light of them. But as we deal with them, may we do it humbly. That you might be praised and glorified. And ultimately, we might participate in your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.